You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Driving Law, normally with Kyla Lee. I am not Kyla Lee. It's Paul Doroshenko here. I'm filling in because, of course, we're getting close to Christmas. Kyla is uh, in the middle of conducting a trial and heading back to the island to be with her family. So I'm glad to be filling in today, and I'm very lucky today to have the wonderful guest that I've got. I've got Chris Thompson, who is uh, one of the members of Sense BC. Sense BC, uh, for the people who don't know and everybody should know, is an advocacy group for drivers. And we're not talking like BCAA, which is an advocacy group for drivers who uh, wants drivers to pay more for things and drive more slowly. Sense BC wants the road laws to be logical and sensible and speed limits to reflect the way that people actually safely drive. So Sense BC has been in the news a lot lately uh, and not for... uh, uh, sort of the things that they used to be in the news for. Back in the day, they can take a, a great deal of credit for getting rid of the horrible version of photo radar we had. Uh, now they are in the news for basically holding the government to account for um, giving us unrealistic and inaccurate assessments of what are of statistics that are collected. So uh, welcome, Chris. Thank you. It's good to be here. How are you doing? Can't complain. You and I actually go back a ways. Yeah, we were on TV together many, many moons ago. Yeah, that was probably um, eight years ago. Does that sound right? Somewhere, Nine, wow, yeah, somewhere around there. And yeah, we have another. Time. We have another connection too. Your babysitter is the wife of one of my best friends. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah, no, she's a really good, uh, a really good friend of mine. And apparently, you you have top notch parenting skills compared to a lot of other dads. You 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 know know your kids' friends and take an active interest, or so I've been oh, told I, anyway. So I I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, I, maybe <laughs> I don't. First of all, I don't want to be measured in my parenting skills. I'm worried about people assessing <laughs> these things and and judging me, and and uh, and then I'm also worried about the word getting out. But uh, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, no, we had a really good gig back then on, um, that was on Global, it was Jill Crop Show, and you and I were regular guests, and we were supposed to just be intelligent, regular people who showed up. Yeah, and it was I, a ton I, of fun. I, I, think we, I think we were. I tried my best. Yeah. Anyway, that was a lot of fun back then. It was unfortunate that they canceled that show. But um, the other thing that I thought was really unfortunate is that people forget, people actively forget important things that you've done, and you think of important things that Sense BC has done. Um, and you had your first video. Your first video came out a few years ago, and that was really quite groundbreaking. That was six years ago. Wow. I know. Time flies. I know. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. I did this video. It's called Speed Kills Your Pocketbook. And the, the one-sentence version of it was that uh, police are targeting safe drivers for speeding, essentially. That's the very, very, very watered-down version. And it, it, it went nuts it went absolutely crazy i got a million hits in a week which wow. just blew my mind it was on joe rogan's podcast adam carolla uh jalopnik did an article um it it seemed to be everywhere like friends of mine that i hadn't seen for years that lived in london were sending me messages saying that the video had showed up on their facebook feed it was crazy that's great but it was a great video i mean your production quality was great your editing was great well this, thank you, you yeah know, Basically, everything that you were explaining was great. Well, you could see you put the work into it, right? I try. Now, it was thoughtful, it was good, and it was influential. I think so. Um, I mean, my... But not influential enough, because everybody forgets. <laughs> that does happen, yes. Yeah, I mean, it's just people seem to forget the message. as We move so quickly onto something else. We're listening to the next podcast. We're uh, on the next story on our phone. Yep. And uh, we forget that it's important to... Uh, you know, be advocates for drivers. Um, after that video came out, if I recall correctly, we were um, dealing with uh, looking at a couple of issues. One was people driving slowly side by side on the highway. And another was places in BC where the speed limit could have been increased. Yeah. So that was just before or right around the time the government launched the speed limit review. 
where they took a look at, I can't remember exactly how much, uh, how, how long the highway sections were that they looked at, but eventually they ended up uh, raising the speed limit on about 33 sections of highways in BC. And at the same time, there's been more of a, a longer term effort to do this keep right except to pass legislation. And that's been one of the other things that Sense BC is pushing is because I can't think of a single thing that frustrates more people more often on roads is uh, other than someone hogging the left lane. Yeah, it's it's infuriating. Yeah, and, and a lot of people say, oh, well, I, if I'm only doing the speed limit, why can't I go in the left lane? Well, it's because it's keep right except to pass. And that ties into our other message, which is if the speed limits were actually set at the upper end of safe travel speeds, then this wouldn't be as much of an issue because it, now you know that, okay, if you're not comfortable doing, um, let's say the limit's 100, if you feel like you want to do 90, fine, but just stay in the right lane. Yeah. Well, and that's the way that it works in lots of other places where there's a significant population base like most of Europe and California. Yeah, and especially with Europe, I mean, we usually use Germany as an example. They have unlimited speed limits on a lot of sections of their highways, and they've got a different ingrained, ingrained driving culture, which is very, very disciplined because uh, well, it's Germany, uh, but also for lane discipline. On a two-lane highway, you've got some guy in a Ferrari doing 280, and you're there in your you know, 15-year-old Volkswagen doing a buck 20. Like, you better get out of the way, and people do. Their accidents per million or billion vehicle miles traveled are at or lower than ours. Yeah, I mean, that doesn't surprise me. They've got lots of, um, I mean, there's lots of rules when you're off the highway with respect to speed limit. It's only when you're on the Autobahn on those stretches where there's yeah. no speed limit that people drive like that. But, I mean, one thing you will never, ever, ever see in Germany is anybody pass you on the right uh, because it's prohibited. You're not allowed to pass somebody on the right. If you're on a highway, you are not allowed to pass them on the right. If there's somebody coming up behind you uh, and you are in the middle lane of three lanes, you've got to get over to the right yeah. if they're in the middle lane. And if you're in the far left lane, you absolutely must get out if there's somebody coming up behind you. Uh, and people stick with that. They follow the rules. Like that's one thing that they do very well is they do follow the rules. But they also have a lot of photo radar. Oh, you I get didn't off know the that. highway and there's photo radar everywhere. Yeah. It's been a long you... time since I've driven in Germany. Well, it's, it's, it, I've seen the increase in it, um, in the last 15 years. Cause I'm back there pretty much every year. And the, when you get to, a um, you know, you're driving on a, um, sort of your standard road that runs into any town. Um, if it's not a highway that's and all the highways go past the towns on the outside, like the Autobahn is, is usually a ways away from any, any, uh, major center, but when you pull into any small town, uh, as soon as you hit the, the sign that demarcates the beginning of town, it's 50 kilometers. And there's almost, you know, very often photo radar right after that. And of course, everybody learns where the photo radar is. They've all got uh, GPS systems that tell you where the photo radar is. But if you're a uh, tourist like me in a rental car, uh, you can run afoul of that pretty easily. Right. Yeah, it happens to me. Uh, but yeah, the um, Sense BC was uh, instrumental in those two legislative changes. One was the, uh, again, changing the signage. Yeah, I know Ian really worked a lot on that. He was very, very vocal. I mean, I've I joined Sense in and around 2013. It's been going on for quite a bit before that. Uh, but I know Ian was working a lot on Keep Right, Accept to Pass. And Todd Stone was quite instrumental in that as well. Yeah, there he was, some was able to get Todd miracle. interested in it, and then they managed to actually persuade some people to look at it, and then it was it actually happened. Yeah. But it was one of those things that was like a no-brainer. It's just somebody had to put their brain, their thoughts to it for a few minutes yeah. in government. You know, well, the, the was... other side to that is the keep right except to pass. I don't know if there's anyone that can really argue with that in any kind of logical capacity, but the speed... The speed increases, I think, are a much tougher sell politically because one of the things that I particularly in my videos trying to get try to get out to everyone is that driving has a bunch of minimal benefits or a bunch of moderate benefits that accrue to a lot of people, but the drawbacks occur to very select few. I'm and sorry, kinda, the what? The what? The, the benefits of, of the benefits of driving. Yeah. Are spread out over everyone, but the costs yeah. are minimized to a select few. And by costs, I mean collisions, basically. Okay, yeah, sure, and fair enough. So the problem is optically, I mean, economically, you can sum that up easily. You can, you can say, okay, you know, if we, if we get people going 10 kilometers an hour faster from A to B, 
it'll cost us one more uh, life per year, but it's going to save 100 lifetimes worth of time on the highway. That's an easy economic calculation to do. But it's a very hard political thing to do because no one's out there showing how everyone saved 100 lifetimes worth of time. But people are going to be able to go out there and say, hey, this person died. And that's true. And that's a bad thing. Like people dying on the roads isn't good. Uh, We're not out there saying we want people to die on the roads or we want more people to die on the roads. But we're out there, at least I'm out there trying to persuade everyone that, look, you have to look at the numbers behind the scenes. You can't just rely on emotional arguments or how you feel about these types of things because they're very sophisticated and complicated uh, models to try and do. Like when you're looking at driving, driving is a very weird mixture of physics and psychology. And if people just look at the physics, then you can say, okay, well, when you drive faster, you have you know, less time to react. It's going to take you longer to stop, et cetera, et cetera. And all those things are true. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean slower is better. because when Well, you I think at- of the stretch of the highway between uh, uh, Campbell River and, uh, and Comox. Right. Um, you know, you'll fall asleep if you're not moving along there. Uh, you know, driving at a higher rate of speed on that stretch of highway, um, because there's so little going on, is the thing that keeps your attention focused on driving. Right. And I think people, one way of saying it is people generally tend to drive the speed that they feel is safe in the conditions. And I think that's largely borne out by what you see on the highways. And most, all the, the vast, vast majority of people drive safely the vast, vast majority of the time. So people make this internal calculation of, okay, if I go any slower, I'm going to be bored out of my skull. And if I go any faster, I don't feel comfortable on the road. So there's this kind of sweet spot in the middle. And when you put the speed limits under that and start enforcing those speed limits, then you're not really helping anyone. You're going to force people into boredom territory. And I don't think that's going to make the roads any safer because a lot of, most of the time people just ignore a speed limit that isn't appropriate, whether that limit is too high or too low. Yeah, I think people can be conditioned, though, uh, not necessarily in a good way, like the photo radar circumstance where, you know, if there's photo radar in every street and every block, everybody's going to drive below the speed limit or, you know, at the speed limit. It's not well, necessarily safe. It's living in a totalitarian nightmare sure. of a society. My, um, my counterexample <clears throat> to, to people who say, well, if you don't like getting tickets, just follow the speed limit. My counterexample to that is, okay, well, let's say there is a police drone that follows you around and every 10 seconds it measures your speed. And if you're going above the limit, you get mailed a ticket for $138. Would you live under that world? Well, well, no. Well, hey man, if you don't like it, just follow the rules. Yeah. Like no, that's, that's a good, that's a good example. I've never thought of that example, but it's a good example. But it's, you know, the reason I teach my children to, uh, to be able to identify and destroy drones. <laughs> you're training hawks or you're using like lasers or what? Uh, I don't want to reveal all of the systems that I've developed. <laughs> I don't want them to know, uh, but the future is coming. I imagine your house is like some kind of dungeon lair with all these weird pieces of technology and stuff in it. That's funny. Th- that I've developed over the years, <laughs> along with my Christmas tree stand. Move over, um, Hank Scorpio. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, no, I, I mean, I generally agree with you. I have no problem with that. And I find that, uh, you know, I... I drive at a speed usually, I mean, in, in the lower mainland of British Columbia, they're not obsessive for the most part uh, in uh, in speed enforcement. Usually the traffic's driving at a certain speed and I'm usually driving with the speed of traffic and that's the speed that I am comfortable driving at. And maybe I'd be comfortable driving a little bit faster than that yeah. uh, because I'm, you know, still relatively young and, and I'm a very experienced driver and I might not feel quite so comfortable when I'm 65. Uh, or up, and I might not have felt quite so comfortable when I was, you know, 18 or something like that. Uh, but the uh, there are those locations where, like Southwest Marine, or uh, yeah, Southwest Marine Drive between Knight Street, uh, or even further actually, Southeast Marine Drive, uh, going to like Kerr to uh, to to Fraser Street, where there's large sections there where it's 50 kilometers an hour. There's this ridiculous enforcement. The police are out there all the time, Vancouver police, because it's easy pickings, right? Sure. And th- that um, was the example and- I used in my original Speed Kills video is the speed limit here right. on this three-lane divided section of highway is the same as it is on commercial drive. Oh, I know. Like it's and insane. you get out yeah. to Burnaby and it's 80. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> here you are in Vancouver and suddenly it's 50 and it's just like easy, easy revenue, uh, easy picking. And, you know, I have to tell you, I'm, you know, I... I 
lots of police officers listen to this podcast, and I appreciate that. Um, but uh, a lot of uh, traffic enforcement is like fishing. Sure. And it can be exciting when you get, uh, you know, a uh, fish on the line. Well, so let me defend the traffic enforcement for a sec. Um, a lot of people have said, poli- the police have largely said, hey, hey, man, it's our job to enforce the law. Okay, fair enough. And so the there's this weird selection mechanism that kind of goes on where if the speed limits are set too low, you as police officers, you don't you don't have the training to identify what a proper speed limit is for a particular section of road. So what you're going to do is you're going to pick the section of the road where the people are going fastest relative to what the speed limit is. But you unfortunately, that's going to be the section of road that the speed limit is probably set the 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 lowest for conditions of anywhere around because people are speeding the most. And yeah, so the least appropriate. Yeah, there we go. Thank you. The least appropriate speed limit. And so then you're out there saying, oh, why is everyone speeding when it's a six-lane wide road and the limit's 50? Like, you know, it doesn't take brain surgery to figure out that 50 is not an appropriate speed limit for that piece of road. But to be fair to the police officers, they're, if their mandate is to enforce the law, they're going to go where people are breaking the law either the most or the most egregiously. Well, and the other thing is, I mean, it, I suppose the sense is that um, enforcement, visible enforcement, even if you're not stopped and you drive past the speed trap, reminds people that they have to abide by the speed limit. Yeah. Um, so from that perspective, you can say that they are, you know, they're affecting general deterrence by being out there and specific deterrence for those some people who they've decided to pull over. And some of the, you know, for the most part in Vancouver, they're not pulling you over until you're at least 15 kilometers an hour over the speed limit. But I think that's yeah. fair. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that's Vancouver. Anyway, I want to move on to, cause we've got a couple more things to talk about here and we're already in 15 minutes and you and I could just talk about speed limits for forever, probably. Um, I have I wanna, talked about speed limits for forever. I know, I know. The, uh, there's Pull lots the cord of things. There's, and I just keep going. There was some, uh, something on Twitter the other day about what could you talk about for like an hour in, uninterrupted as a TED talk without any preparation. I was like, oh, well, there's a bunch of things I could talk. I could talk about breathalyzers. I could talk about breath testing. I could talk about speed testing equipment. I could talk about, um, the, um, I want to talk about your new video yes. and then we're going to move on to what's gone on this last week, but let's talk about your new video because your new video, uh, is fantastic. And I was very lucky to have that sneak preview of it. Thank you. It was, uh, I mean, it changed quite a bit after the sneak preview. I think you guys took quite a bit from the yeah, discussion, but that was, uh, you did that was a great interesting job on it. Version. I'm, one of the things I say is I'm not terribly good at making great videos, but I'm good at making videos and then taking out the parts that other people say suck. Huh. And it's this, I, yeah. it's this iterative process. It's kind of like stand-up comedy. Like, I don't know what's going to be funny or what's going to be good until someone else sees it. And so we did uh, 22 versions of the script and then eight major revisions of the video. And I think the focus group was version five. So by the time Ah. all was said and done, I think there were three more significant changes to the video after you guys had seen it. Well, I noticed that you did take out most of your jokes. (laughs) So So stand-up comedy, maybe not your thing. Um, So, but it was great. It's great. You you. did such a good job on it. And I'm, you know, impressed with the amount of work that you put into it. Um, What has been the feedback? I mean, you guys were all over the news for uh, like 10 days. Um, Yeah, the feedback's been pretty good. I mean, there's, there's a obvious selection bias as to the types of people that are going to see the video. It's the people that are interested in driving. Well, it's a little more complex than the previous video. It is. You have to actually think about it a little bit more. This video is a little bit longer and it's a little bit harder to digest because I talk a lot about statistics. So the one sentence version of this video is people are abusing, the government and the media are abusing statistics or misusing statistics to try and push an enforcement agenda that isn't justified by those statistics. So that's a lot harder of a narrative to craft than... Uh, than speed enforcement targets safe drivers. And I had seen over the past few years a lot of news articles, especially on Global, mainly because that's the, the news channel I watch Global the most. does so much that, you know, BC yeah, News. It, it seems to me they have a mandate for a transportation-related story every day. Well, they have a, there's a point, though. I mean, the point, I don't think that they have a mandate for that. The point is that people are actually interested in it. I mean, there's yeah. people who listen to this podcast um, you know, we talk, Kyle and I talk about driving law, um, you know, long ago, driving law, driving the law, but the people are interested in the thing that affects them. That's true. Which is yeah, driving. And I think as an effect of that, they're trying to do <coughs> transportation stories. And as a reporter, you're trying to make things interesting. You're trying to ham things up. You're trying to generate controversy. 
And there's a few things that fall out of that. Number one is if it's a boring transportation day, you may take a, a, a molehill and make a mountain out of it. Or if it's a more complex topic involving statistics, the reporters typically don't have the training or the time to, to try and unravel what the numbers actually mean. And there's a couple of really egregious examples uh, that I show in, in the video where I think it was Catherine Urquhart had a story of something like, you know, the year that the speed limit was changed, there was 138 crashes on the Coquihalla. And then three years later, that number had gone up to 152. That's an increase, or 158, that's an increase of 30-something percent or something like that. And okay, that may completely be ridiculous to me on the face of it because I know that the weather in the Coquihalla can completely change everything. Well, but. that's the funny part is that year <clears throat> that they chose to put on TV, that was a year with a really bad winter. And when you yep. looked at the rest of the graph, like it, it, there were two huge spikes, and the two spikes that they used were the ones that made it to the news story. They didn't use any of the other numbers, which showed it was actually a lot safer, not a lot safer, but safer or fewer crashes after the speed limit increase. Huh. And to me, I, I can't really come to any conclusion other than they're just trying to manufacture controversy out of nothing, or they're trying to lie with statistics. They're cherry-picking numbers to try and push an agenda that isn't there. The, you mean the media or the government? Because well, I don't know. I, I didn't get a straight answer out of Global. And Global's basically uh, been incommunicado with, like, they won't touch me with a 10-foot pole in this story. Yeah. Uh, a John well, Daly, they, weren't, they weren't happy because you used quite a bit of their, used yeah, quite a bit of and, their footage and a lot of their people. Well, it was kind of funny because they... But uh, that was really just an issue, I think, of the fact that they did so many stories about it. I think, I think that's definitely part of it. Um, the other funny part was they, when I, when we released the trailer, which was the John Waugh segment where he said, uh, if you don't like the word, or if you don't believe the words of a train reconstructionist, try arguing with math. It takes a vehicle traveling 80 kilometers an hour, 31 and a half meters to come to a complete stop, which is completely wrong. Yeah. I think my 1953 Buick, that yeah, might, uh, that's that about might right take for, that yeah. distance. Yeah. And so we released that as a trailer and then Global launched a copyright takedown notice on the trailer and my two original YouTube videos from 2013. And so I huh. got into a bit so of a... So that's a little threat. Uh, yeah, like I got into a bit of a fight with them. And, and it was funny because I there's a YouTube copyright dispute complaint. So I wrote a... a my There's a 2,000 character limit. So I wrote like 1,998 char characters with a bunch of legal words like estoppel and statutory references and stuff like that. And then they ended up calling me afterwards. They're like, okay, listen you know, what do we do about this? And, you know, you're, you're accusing us of lying. And I was like, well, you know, that's because you kind of did. Like, the numbers you're using are just wrong. And just because I'm accusing your reporters of lying doesn't mean that I violated your copyright because we have a copyright act for a reason. Yeah, I, I don't think you were accusing them of lying. I think you were accusing them of not appropriately scrutinizing the, the way that it was presented to them. Usually by the police. Yeah, that was part of it. On the John Waugh story, though, he did lie, really. Yeah. Um, like, he he took what was... He's a great said, guy. He is. He's, he's a, a really a great, nice he's guy. A otherwise yeah. good reporter from what I could see. Uh, but yeah. he just said, you know, if you don't believe the words of an accident reconstructionist, try arguing with math. And then he used the words of the accident reconstructionist. Like, that was the part that I took issue with, is him portraying numbers that he got off some guy's blog as an immutable property of the universe. Yeah, well, that's a problem. But again, like I think you, you know, to say that he lied or to say that he fudged the story, I think is a little bit, you know, I, I you see what I my concern with it. Uh, yeah, I think I, I I deal with reporters all the time. Sure. So does Kyla, um, often with respect to driving stories, and you know, I know the limits that they've got because you talk to them uh, about, yeah, you know what what's been given to them. Um, sort of what the narrative is and how they're going to craft it. And then they've got, you know, three hours to put it together. I, I so absolutely a, agree that that's That's part always of my sympathy for them because yeah, don't I, I don't time, expect yeah. them to be perfect. And, and, you know, I think there was a time when we did more in-depth journalism, but I think as a result of the um, sort of undermining journalism by the end of newspapers um, and the fact that there's just not the same advertising revenue on TV because we've got you know, people not watching TV like they did yeah, uh, and all of the other things that it's, you know, they're, they're strapped for cash. Like it's a CTV comes out and it's a, a reporter with a camera 
uh, and they don't even have a cameraman anymore. And, you know, they've got to try and put something together. So I'm, I'm sympathetic to them. I, but I'm I, less sympathetic I to the, the CTV because there was one reporter that came out with just a cameraman. And they really yeah. edited, like, one of the sentences that I said was something like, I exceed the speed limit almost all the time, and so does everyone else. And they cut it halfway and made me look like a complete idiot. Yeah, So I'm somewhat cranky about CTV. Anyway. I know. Um, but, I mean, it depends on where you are in the narrative, right? Yeah. Uh, if you're, the, um, if you're the, uh, the subject of the story, you can be made to look really bad with easy uh, cuts. Yes, if you If you're can. commenting on the story then you can uh, be made to look all sorts of different ways. And if you're just, you know, providing sort of a expert opinion on the side, that's probably I found the safest thing when I'm dealing with the media. Yeah. Yeah, but, my, my intention with the John Waugh story really was to kind of castigate John Waugh a little bit for not poking behind the numbers or something that he should have known was wrong. But Well, I, I remember the original story, and I was frustrated with it when I saw it too. I was yeah. Like, this is not, this does not even sit right to me without even sitting down and doing any of the math. Yeah, and I mean, my question to the police officer who had that number on his blog is like, look, where are these numbers from? Like, yeah, these numbers are from the 40s. Why are you still using them? Or if you're not, why are you putting them on the blog to try and make us feel like idiots? I, I couldn't believe that the police were using these numbers and, and putting it out there and and that the media weren't asking any questions about that. That just shocked me. So well, that, I was that was one of the points of my video, on yeah. Yeah. Um, and and talk about undermine credibility of the police. If this is what <laughs> Well, seriously. Oh, I mean, yeah. because you know, you're expecting them to come out and investigate accidents. You're expecting their accident reconstruction people to be skilled and knowledgeable about this information. And when they come out and give you something that is so far out of date and so wrong, uh, you're thinking, what happens when I have an accident and I'm badly injured or my family member's badly injured? And, you know, this guy comes out to, to measure the skid marks. Like, what is his conclusion going to be when yeah. he has to testify? So, to uh, be fair you know. to that, I think I have a, a really good friend of mine who is now in traffic reconstruction, and I've uh, seen some of the stuff that they, he does, and it's fairly comprehensive. So, I think the the underlying reasons behind the blog post are kind of the same part as, or kind of the same as what might be happening at the government, is that maybe there are more complicated analyses and numbers and considerations and whatnot going on behind the scenes but they're just trying to dumb it down to make it accept, uh, accessible by the general public. Like one of the, the main points in Speed Cause Your Pocket Book 2 is that the justification for increase in the increase in cell phone fines and distracted driving fines is that distracted driving is now the number two leading cause of driving fatalities in British Columbia, which is true. But the problem is that ignores the context, which is that the number one used to be, or the number one was uh, impaired, like drinking and driving. But drinking and yeah. driving and fatali fatalities have been dropping faster than impaired driving fatalities, which is how impaired driving is now a worse problem, or sorry, distracted driving is now a worse problem than impaired driving. But both of them are much, much less of, of a problem than they were 15 or 20 years ago. Yeah, and yeah. so, yeah, distracted driving is now the number two cause of fatalities on BC roads. That is an easily digestible piece of information that the average person in the public can understand and, and get behind. But the problem is it's misleading in the context. And if they had come out and said, you know, distracted driving fatalities are down 20% over the last 10 years, but we don't think that's enough. We want to get them down more. And the only way for us to do that is by increasing enforcement and increasing the fines and pen subsequent penalties. Okay, I may disagree with that, but I at least understand where you're coming from. Yeah. And that to me well, is a much more I mean, comprehensive argument than, yeah. you know, it's worse than drinking and driving. Well, yeah, that's just because the fatalities for drinking and driving have dropped a lot. Like, that doesn't make sense. Well, there's lots of things going on there that never seems to be properly unpacked. Uh, cars are safer. Sure. Um, it's harder to have a serious collision. Uh, you've got anti-lock brakes. You've got cars that break on their own. Um, and, you know, there's some different things happening too. Like a, a person looking at their cell phone is usually momentarily distracted. Uh, a person who's impaired has impaired their entire drive for the most part. Oh, yeah. Um, so there, it's, uh, there's, there's different things going on and it drives me, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I, 
I'm irked, irked and irritated when I see people looking at their cell phones. Yeah. Uh, the worst is when you see somebody who's, you know, driving along and they're obviously doing some video thing. I, 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 uh, a few weeks back, there was um, a woman who was FaceTiming on a selfie stick uh, <laughs> block <laughs> away from here as I was driving home. Um, and, you know, fundamentally dangerous. You're not paying attention to your duties as a driver. But, right. Um, there's different things going on. Yep. There's different things going on when it comes to cell phones. There's different things going on when it comes to impairment. Uh, I don't like the comparison. I think it's a terrible comparison. And and you're right. Like The impairment, I think, is far, 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 far more dangerous for many of the reasons that you've just described because you're impaired the whole ride home. And you can't you know, just be impaired for a couple of seconds at a stoplight. And then as soon as you look up and keep going as you can with a cell phone, you're not impaired anymore. Yeah. And then the number of people that check their cell phones versus the number of people that are impaired, I think many, many, many more people you know, momentarily check their cell phones while driving versus the number of people that are impaired driving home. So I absolutely agree with you. I think it's a, it's a ridiculous comparison uh, just because there's a whole bunch of statistical and probabilistic things that are going on behind the scenes that, aren't, that, that just aren't comparable. Now, when you started digging into the statistics for cell phones and deaths, um, I gave you some of that stuff that I got from a Freedom of Information request. What else did you find? Well, the the numbers we got, uh, part of them were from your news story. Like it was your, it was Acumen Law, yeah, right? That, that was did, my FOI that did the, uh, found out the, that the almost, two year... almost nobody had died. Nobody had died in Vancouver, like nobody in Surrey in the history of cell phone legislation yeah, that and died according like, to the coroner. But of course, you know, there's limitations on that data sure. too, right? Because how do they know whether or not the cell phone was on? How do they know whether or not it was used? You know, if there's an accident, somebody's dead. Uh, you're not necessarily going to go sc- scrolling through their text messages. Right. And that was probably one of the most surprising things I found once I was looking through the data. And a lot of it was, a lot of the impetus for this video was that story you guys did as well, where we found out that... Cell phone usage is a subset of distracted driving. Yeah. But it is a very, very small subset of distracted driving in terms of collisions and fatalities, but a huge part of the distracted driving related ticketing. And so to me, that just didn't make sense is that people are doing this bait and switch. They're saying like, okay, distracted driving is a really big problem. Okay, yes. Cell phones is, using a cell phone is distracted driving. Yes, that is also true. Therefore, we're going to ticket these cell phones. Well, yeah. if cell yeah. phones are only one or two percent of the problem, then you know, tripling or quadrupling or quintupling the fines, you know, if it let's say it's two percent of the problem, if you got rid of cell phone related fatalities and collisions, your distracted driving collisions collisions are going to go down two percent. That bait and, and switch. Well, what do you me got? Crazy. Yeah, like you're you're fining people <laughs> thousands of dollars for like having a cell phone next to them. Like it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, and that's yeah. one of the the funnier things and funny in the. Ironic sense of the word. That, funny, ironic, and sad. Funny, ironic, and sad, yeah, is that I'm out there saying, look, I don't think driving while screwing around on your cell phone should be legal or is a good idea. But the punishment should fit the crime. And yeah. a lot of people have examples of, you know, I was driving along and someone was doing something dumb on their phone. Well, that's true. Um, but public policy and driving fines and punishments have to have some kind of logical connection to the danger that a person poses on the road and the actual effects that happen on the road. And like we can say grooming your mustache is also distracted driving. So we're going to have a mustache groomer task force sit at every intersection and wait for people to start grooming their mustaches and then fine them $25,000. And you you can justify that by saying, well, hey, man, if you don't want to pay the fine, don't groom your mustache at a traffic light. And like it, it, it's an ex- absurd. Don't give example. them any ideas. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have a mustache. <laughs> um, oh, if it was on, if it was Ontario, you probably would have. Oh yeah. To, there's so many mustaches there. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. So <laughs> that got us a little bit off track, but, but my, my point is that my argument, the behind speed kills your pocketbook two lying with statistics is just be honest with the numbers. If you can't justify your policy by being honest with the numbers, then I don't think you have a logical justification for that policy. And traffic fines should make sense. Like a lot of people um, have driving stories about other people with cell phones. And, but that doesn't necessarily justify 
thousands of dollars in fines for just having a cell phone next to you. Well, it also it also is is a waste of enforcement action. Oh, absolutely. That's what I get. I keep thinking about the police and where we need policing. And you think about you know the problems of policing in, for example, Surrey. And in Vancouver, we've got this huge problem in the downtown east side that's just getting worse and worse. That I I don't even think is getting talked about. But police officers are telling us, you know, when we see them at traffic court about how bad it's getting. Uh, And at at, you know at the same time, there's eight police officers standing at the uh, at the south end of Oak Street to get people who are looking for their cell phones, um, you know, at, when the light's red. And I, I just think to myself, like, if we're lying sorry, to ourselves, hi, can you not hear me? Oh, oh, Chris? Yeah, no? sorry, I'm there. I accidentally, yeah. hit a, I accidentally hit a button, sorry. Oh, well, you missed the best lecture I've given in a long time. <laughs> no, I was just saying, like, you know, you look at the problems that they have on the downtown east side and how much worse they're getting, and people don't necessarily know how much worse it's getting, but it's gotten really bad, and, and property crime uh, in Vancouver is skyrocketing, and people aren't even necessarily reporting it, but it is bad. Um, and then you're at the south end of Oak Street, and you see six police officers standing underneath a tree ready to do cell phone enforcement. Yeah. Um, and you're thinking to yourself, well, if, you know, if they're lying to themselves and lying to us about uh, what is the threat here, um, and they're not coming at it, you know, honest to themselves and honest to us about where enforcement should be, uh, we're misallocating our enforcement. And to, to add on to that point, if they say, hey, our job is to enforce the law, well, fine, ticket people for doing 51. You're making this this normative judgment that, okay, well, in the city of Vancouver, you probably won't get a ticket for doing less than about 15 over, which is true. And I think that, at least from my perspective as a driver, makes sense because for the most part, you can do, you know, 65 down Boundary or Marine or some of the, more, the larger streets. I mean, you can't do 65 in the smaller streets and kits, but the limit's 50 on all those places. But yeah, if, people a, generally just drive the speed limit on those side roads and kits. Or, or less than them. You can't do in 50 there. You're going to kill people. Yeah. And I don't think anyone does because people generally No, but I, on drive. the side roads, a lot of people I see are driving 30, 40. Yeah, because um, it makes so, sense. Yeah. But what you see is that if, if police officers use this justification that, look, I'm just enforcing the law, I don't think that holds a lot of water. I think they understand as well that the limits are set too low because they're not enforcing them. They're enforcing whatever limit they feel is appropriate. And in a depending on the 50 zone, that may be 65, that may be 70, that may be 75. And so to me, that's kind of tacit acknowledgement that the limits are too low because a speed limit is designed to do two things, at least in my opinion. Number one, it tells the driver what the upper end of safe travel speed under ideal conditions should be. And I think well, that's, that, that's what it should be. That's what it and, should be. And know, that's an appropriate yeah. set speed limit. I've seen, I've been driving on the interstate in, I think it was Idaho a couple of times. The limit was 80 or 85. And I'm just so used to doing 10 over. That I'm doing 90 miles an hour. And I'm like, no, this is crazy. I can't. I, and I slowed down to under the speed limit because it was a properly set speed limit. I'm doing yeah. at or slightly below the speed limit. I'm comfortable on the road. No one else is speeding because 90 miles an hour is pretty crazy. Um, so I want to get to something that happened this week. Um, when okay. you released your most recent video, Lying with Statistics. Um, Available at sensebc.org. It's, uh, it's great. And it's also, you can find it on YouTube, but if you, yeah, just go to SenseBC and you'll find it. Um, when you released it, the first reaction of the government before they looked at it, Mike Farnworth, who's also been on this podcast, um, responded very negatively. And then it seemed quite tempered in the days that followed. I think they actually looked at it and realized, okay, um, we shouldn't really have an agenda here. We should just be trying to come up with good public policy. Uh, and um, now we have this uh, issue on the Malahat. So what? Right. give me the summary of what's happened this week. Uh, so from, from your perspective, because you guys have a press release that's uh, laying it all out. Yeah, honestly, I'm not up on that as much as, as like a Derek or an Ian would be. But your I think... Your name's in the press release, buddy. Sorry? Your name's in the press release. <laughs> My understand they've been debating doing point-to-point speed cameras on the Malahat. Yeah. And the the police or some, someone issued, uh, I'm going to sound a little bit uh, uh, unqualified here because I'm not up to speed on that. Uh, 
but they basically came out, came out and said, we need more speed enforcement on the Malahat. And yeah. so well, they wanted to do, they were, they didn't want to do photo radar. They wanted to do, they take a photo of you here and they take a photo of you here and then they figure out what your average speed was and then you get a ticket. Right. Based yeah. on, it's interval speed cameras. So it's not, yeah. in, it's not a, a point speed measurement. It's an average speed measurement over the course of whatever particular period of time or a period of whatever particular distance. Sorry. Yeah. And so we saw this and then Derek and a few of the other people, we uh, had Derek um, was our researcher. He had asked for some of the information on fatalities in the Malahat uh, specifically as it relates to speed. And yeah. So it, it took us forever to get those numbers, and we had to launch a complaint to the officer, the the privacy commissioner, mm-hmm. or whatever that's called. I don't know the technical title. But anyway, yeah. we, we finally got the numbers, and the numbers showed that it was only something like 5.6% of collisions in the Malahat are attributable to exceeding the speed limit. Okay, I've got it here in front of me. Yeah. So we've got, and this is from your press release, but this is also straight out of the uh, the FOI that you guys obtained. Yeah. And it's top 10 contributing factors on Malahat crashes. Number one, the most contributing factor, not cell phones, not speed, driver inattentive, 25.6%. So a quarter of the accidents. Um, the next one is other police comments. So that's a variety that wouldn't fit in just any general category and probably could include such things as animals, uh, vehicle problems. Um, then there's um, uh, road conditions, 17.9%, and then 12.6% of people driving too fast for conditions. So that is uh, the speed limit. They may be driving below the speed limit, yeah. but they're driving too fast because they've got, you know, whatever, sleet, snow, um, heavy traffic, and they're driving too fast for that heavy traffic. But finally, we get down to actually people speeding. And you're right, it's 5.6%. Yeah. And driver error confusion is higher, 7.7%. That's me. That's, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just generally confused. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's hardly a justification for putting up a, uh, a whole bunch of... Uh, high-tech speeding stuff, is it? Yeah, and the other follow-on to that, I think we found something like there was only one fatality due to excessive speed in the last, like, 10 years. Yeah. Something like that. And and in my mind, again, you know, for those 5.6% of people who crashed due to exceeding the speed limit or for the one person who died for excessive speed, like, yeah, those are bad things. But it's the government's job not to just wait, not to to have these knee-jerk emotional reactions or use public policy to placate voters or just the loudest person. You need to have some kind of evidentiary basis for the policy that you're trying to do. And I think the one difference, the, the main thing that separates driving fines and punishments with everything else in the, in the criminal or quasi-criminal justice system is that drivers have money. Like if you find someone for jaywalking, you know, it's a crapshoot as to whether or not they'll pay it. If they're yeah. if they're broke, they don't care. You just keep finding them. Fine, find me another two hundred dollars. Well, you most know? most people who are driving, like myself, I need to drive basically to maintain everything that I'm you know, all the balls I'm keeping in the air. Sure. And I think that's true for just about everyone is we you know, driving is important to the economy of the province, to our mobility and freedom as as people in British Columbia. Like the people who are driving probably need to drive. At yep. least, I mean, maybe not as much as they do. There's there are some alternatives, but by and large, uh, we need our driver's licenses. And so they've kind of got this captive audience. And it's an easy thing to a politician to say, okay, you know, six people died on this particular section of road last year, so we want five or four or none. Like, yeah, that's a laudable goal. So we're going to increase the fines for speeding. We're going to put in point-to-point speed cameras and all these other issues. But if the six people died on, you know, Sunday mornings in a snowstorm, point-to-point cameras aren't going to help you. They're going to ticket safe drivers. Yeah. And there's going to be the odd person who is just a a terrible, horrible threat to the public. And most of those people just get caught and ticketed, 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 and then they lose their licenses. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm not saying that there are people, there, there are definitely people out there that deserve tickets. But if you had speed limits that were set appropriately, then you could identify them easily because they're the ones actually going too fast for ideal conditions. 
Now, I don't know if you have this sense. I know <laughs> sense. <laughs> sense uh, <laughs> oh, there's a, there's have, a ton of sense-related puns. Yeah. If you have this uh, sort of viewpoint that I've kind of developed that, um, and I know other people have, that there's a bit of a battle going on, and the battle is a uh, anti-driver thing um, and partially motivated by people who are real... Um, cycling advocates yep, uh, and just seem to be ultimately opposed to drivers and their, you know, their goal is never to there ever be a death on the highway in British Columbia. I mean, you could reduce the speed limit to five kilometers an hour across the province and there might never be a death. Um, well, people the, would uh, die on the road because they're, it's going to take you 75 years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the I, I don't want to spend all my life in a car. Uh, driving at those low speeds, but the, um, the it really feels like there was, uh, a, and it seems to me, I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to throw my theory out here. Yep. Um, it it feels to me like it was largely motivated by people who were understandably opposed to cars for their polluting factor. Sure. But we're now moving to an electric car society rapidly in British Columbia. We're going to need that other way to uh, cross the Fraser River to get from South Richmond to uh, to Delta. Uh, and uh, cars are not going away. They're no, not going away. I, I, I agree with that. I think there are... I, I think this, the single occupant vehicle has been one of the most environmentally destructive forces in the world. Yeah. Uh, I think that's no a doubt. fair statement. I think it's, it's necessary for the... For, some people it's been a lovely luxury too at oh the it, same it time. has I yeah mean, it, it gives know, us great freedom pushing around a big pile of steel to get where you need to go the wheels spin and you burn some some uh hydrocarbons that's yeah. been yeah pulled out of the earth it's been there for millions and millions of years and your short little lifetime you get to drive around yeah so i th- i think again it's a sort of conflation of arguments like is fewer vehicles a good thing yes i think from an environmental perspective from an economic perspective, that may be a wash, but uh, vehicles are bad for the environment. And even if we go to electric vehicles, there's still a large environmental cost to having and owning and maintaining a vehicle because there's the batteries and you have to make the car and blah, blah, blah. So people can be anti-car. I don't necessarily agree with that position, but I understand how and why they would be that way. And I think there are very logical arguments to be that way. Now, the problem with that is I don't think it makes sense to go from being anti-car to jumping that that gamut to say, okay, well, we should be the cars should be going slower. Now, yeah. it is environmentally better for you know. I think the the optimal speed of a vehicle is probably like seventy or eighty kilometers an hour or something like that, somewhere around there in terms of fuel efficiency, at least for for a gasoline vehicle. Yeah, I think there's some sort of change in in pushing air when it gets to around eighty kilometers an hour. Yeah, well, it's it's a uh, quadratic equation it's you know linear with friction and the square with the yeah. the water and then um don't go don't go there yeah. we don't have that much time um because we're the velocity the for the air resistance that's what i was gonna yeah. say and so um uh but again the problem with that is i mean we, we need transportation vehicles for our economy and people should be able to make their own decisions as to how much gas they want to burn to get from a to b speed wise because you can do that by determining the size of the engine in your car or the type of vehicle that you want to buy. No one's out there saying we should legislate away eight-cylinder cars or six-cylinder cars. You know, everyone oh, seems to know. be fine. Yeah, okay, it's a much more... Uh, much. It's not a big lobby. Correct. Yeah, it's a more minority um, position. And so to say, okay, well, we want to legislate 80 kilometers an hour for fuel efficiency and for environmentalism, you get a bunch of people just going crazy on the roads that are designed to be driven at 120 or 130 kilometers an hour. It just doesn't make social uh, sense or economic sense because it's it's worth it for the individual to spend a little bit more on gas to get to Kelowna in three hours instead of four or five. So I think I don't I don't think the anti-car position logically can justify uh, an inappropriate speed limit. No, it was a direction they were going for a while, and I think they've uh, they've fallen back a little bit, and I think they're going to have to regroup if they want to come up with something that's more compelling. I think yeah, kind of. I mean, yeah. if you, if you want to get people out of cars, you need to make it more expensive, and you need to either make it more expensive in terms of time or in terms of money. 
And there's been some yeah. cities in the world that have said, okay, well, it's a complete pain in the butt to drive into the downtown core, so we're going to char- charge a congestion fee of $10 or 10 euros or whatever the case was. And that's been largely successful. I think the other issue, too, is that the cycling advocates and the anti-car lobby are very much city-based people, and they see you know, the, their cycling friends are getting hit by cars. There's, there's a lot of cars downtown. It's very congested. It's very um, cluttered in there, and that's true. But as sense, at least in, in, as far as I'm concerned, we're here talking about, for the large part, highway speed limits. Like I agree, yeah. there's, a ton of thi- there's a ton of stuff going on in a city. There's really not as much going on on the highway from Vancouver to Kelowna. Yeah. And so these, these spillover arguments that, you know, cars are bad in the city and they're polluting. Therefore, when you drive from Abbotsford or Hope to Kelowna, you should speed down 20 or 30 percent. Like, I just, that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, it doesn't really link up. Well, back to Sense. Yes. So um, <laughs> you can uh, you can go to SenseBC's website. It's uh, You Google it, it'll come up right away. SenseBC.org. Uh, SenseBC.org. And you can watch Chris's video. Chris is uh, one of the, uh, one of the uh, very involved members in SenseBC. SenseBC has been a great advocacy group. It's unusual that we have, but we're lucky to have it because not such a thing exists in every province. And uh, every once in a while when I get something, I give it to them. And every once in a while when they get something, they give it to us. And it's been very useful for us and me and Kyla particularly. Uh, and I thank you very much for coming on to the, uh, the podcast um, and uh, it was a little bit of uh, tricky to get you because you're so busy after this video came up. <laughs> I feel like it's like a coup d'etat that I got you before yeah. Christmas time. You, you guys have been very supportive of us as well, and uh, I'm happy to be on the podcast, and thanks very much for your time. Yeah, well, thanks, Chris, and okay. uh, we'll talk to you again. All right, take care. Okay, bye now. Thanks a lot to Chris from SenseBC, Chris Thompson, and uh, producer of that wonderful video, Um Speed Kills 2, Lying with Statistics. I think that's what it's called. I'm sorry, Chris, if I got it wrong. I don't have it here in front of me. Uh, and I hope I did a good enough job as the host of Driving Law with Kyla Lee that doesn't have Kyla Lee. We will be back again next week, right after Christmas. So to everyone out there, Merry Christmas from myself, from Kyla, and from everybody at Acumen Law. If you need to get a, he- a hold of either myself or Kyla Lee, VancouverCriminalLaw.com or 604-685-8889 or you can find us both on Twitter. 